In today's episode of VFM, we are talking to Andrew Warwick Thompson, Chair of the Scottish Widows Master Trust, and much, much more, uh, about what value for money means to him. Welcome to the 23rd episode of VFM, the Pensions Podcast. And as ever, I'm delighted to be joined by my co-host, Darren Philp. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. And I couldn't be happier to be doing another VM podcast with you, Nico. And and this time we're in person again. We're back in the pod. Back in the pod. Uh, And today we're delighted to be joined by Andrew Warwick-Thompson. Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be in the pod with the two of you. Excellent, excellent. So, Andrew, you're a former executive director uh, of regulatory policy for the pensions regulator. Uh, you were CEO of LGPS Central. Uh, of course, you're a consultant for Bacon and Woodrow and later Aon for a number of years. Uh, and now you chair the Scottish Widows Master Trust and you're a trustee on the Cushion Master Trust, amongst, I'm sure, many other things which we'll come on to. Various other things as well, yes. So I have stellar, a, stellar career. I have, a, I have a portfolio career now. I see. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> so, so, you know, your time at the regulator, I'm sure we're going to, mm. you know, it's going to be a consistent theme, isn't it? Um, you know, throughout this podcast, is it all your fault, Andrew? <laughs> um, a lot of it's my fault. Yeah. So if if, if you if you th- if you don't like the way that the master trusts are regulated, that probably is my fault. Yeah. Um, because I was there at the time when um, Ros Altman, who was the minister, mm. jumped up and down and said, "This is absolutely appalling. Why aren't master trusts properly regulated, mm. authorised, and supervised?" And I want the I want TPR to do it. Uh-huh. So I was heavily involved in the legislation around that yeah, before yeah. I left. Well, I think that was, um, you know, better late than never, wasn't it? Mm. Really, no. the regulator. Yes, I mean, the regulator had felt that master trusts needed to be regulated more robustly for some yeah. time, mm. and had lobbied quite hard for the D, to the DWP for, for additional powers to do it. Um, but I think that the DWP and various ministers before Ros Altman were very, very concerned about putting any barriers away uh, in the way of AE working. Yeah. Yeah. And they thought, if we introduce more regulation, we won't get enough players into the market. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so there, there was that reason. Mm-hmm. Of course, what happened was that we then ended up with hundreds, yeah. literally, well, over Just 100 showing, yeah, master yeah. trusts. Some of them were an absolute disaster. Yeah, yeah. And one of them in particular, which is the thing that triggered Ros to say, right, we regulate these things properly now, yeah. was actually a scam. Right. <laughs> well, it was, well, itself it wasn't a scam, but it was funded. The funder of that particular scheme uh, had taken money from another pension scheme illegally. Yeah. Wow. wow. Gosh. Well, I'm sure we'll um, cover that. And, and, I just and remember, all, and, do you remember Cowboys Are Us? That was, was that actually one of the names of the Master Trust? Yeah. That was the BBC story, wasn't it? it? There was a watchdog uh, piece on oh, it. Oh, was that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that, yeah, and that was like when everyone stood up and thought, There was a penny oh, drop gosh. moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for sure. No, there were several. Uh, there were several. There were, there were several warning signs. Mm. Um, and fortunately, the regulator was on top of it. Mm. Yeah. We had been investigating this particular scam anyway, mm. had wondered where the money went, mm. followed the money, and realised that it was actually used to fund a particular master trust. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. So, we start with the news, don't we? We do. Yeah. So, Andrew, what have you got for us? I want to talk about something that I got very aerated about last year, <laughs> uh, which is the transfer regulations and mm. red flags. 
And um, we ended up in a situation where, as a regulator, I knew that um, incentives and overseas investments mm, yeah. are kind of red flags. Mm, they right. are indica- indicative that, yeah. uh, of a potential scam. And this uh, is this is a, a retail transfer. So this is an individual transfer. This is an individual yeah. transferring from um, a pension scheme into a retail type yeah, yeah. product. And um, so the regulations quite cover quite correctly say, amongst other things. Yeah. If you're offering incentives, you know, I'll give you a clock if you transfer to me, yeah. or even something as innocuous as that, a pen or a pen, yeah. anything, any kind of incentive. Uh, the way that the rates were drafted, it caught it, yeah. and it was the same with overseas investments. And so we had a situation last year where our lawyers were saying to us on both the Cushion Master Trust and the Scottish Widows right. Master Trust. Yeah. Guys, because this is caught by the regulation, you cannot make a statutory transfer under these circumstances. So we then had to say to the members, very sorry, but because this provider offers an incentive, even though they're FCA regulated, we're going to have to refer you to Money Helper first, and we're going to have to only make the transfer uh, for you on a non-statutory basis, Mm. because the law says we can't make a statutory transfer under these circumstances. So my hope is that now the DWP have announced they're going to work with DPR on rewriting the regulations Mm. and making them better and simpler and more sensible, I hope. My plea is please, please, please talk to the Association of Pension Lawyers because the APL were the ones that said, this is the problem, we understand the problem. So please, can we get the drafting right this time? Yeah, yeah, because this has been the source of uh, some tension, it's fair to say, between Uh, providers. Yeah, it has, hasn't it? And I I, I sit there watching the popcorn when uh, people's (laughs) pension and um, pensions B start having a slanging match in the... uh, the Oh, yeah, and pensions pensions B also named and and shamed, Cushion Master Trust, one of those that they called out. Yeah. Um, and, and yes, there was a lot of uh, great aeration and, and popcorn popping. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was probably, I may well have been at Smart at that point, so I was sort of rubbing my hands in glee when, when, when you know, the Cushion Master Trust got uh, you know, criticised. Well, we were, we were, yeah, Cushion Master Trust got criticised by, by Pensions B for this particular stance. We took exactly the same stance at, at Scottish Ooh. Widows, mm. and we were very concerned that we were going to get, get named and shamed and called out. Yeah. Uh, but they never, they never picked on us. Yes. I don't know why, but we were doing exactly the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Uh, what have you brought, Darren? So, um, from the sublime to the ridiculous, in a way, <laughs> um, you know, I know I, we, we usually cover stuff in the pensions press, don't we? But um, yes. one of the things, and I, 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 and I don't read the Daily Telegraph, yeah, as a, as a rule, but um, I did get this <laughs> article sent to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and it was, it's from Monday, I think, where, you know, the Telegraph, you know, talks about uh, the BT pension fund turning its back on UK shares, yeah, mm-hmm. um, and you know it's a, a blow to the Chancellor's Big Bang 2.0 ambitions mm-hmm. as retirement giant cuts its exposure to UK stocks, and then yeah. there's a you know a load of comments in there. Uh, Ros Altman is commenting saying, you know, it's absolutely an outrage that a major pension fund, especially one underpinned to some degree by the government and funded to a significant degree by taxpayer money, is not supporting the British economy. So, you know, like. We, we, we talk a lot about productive finance, we talk a lot about doing good with investment and uh, 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 and stuff. But 
you know, does, does you it don't, say don't, don't you just need to let pension schemes and trustees, you know, invest, yeah, you know, according to their fiduciary duty, and if the the if the options and um, the the investments are out there, yeah, they will make the decision um, that's best for their members. Um, All of this sort of freebile, you but know, just um, to, do they say what BT? So how much have they cut? Because I'm imagining in 2023 that they didn't have a particularly holding large holding of equities or UK equities uh, to begin with. So is this like half percent down? It says sixty-seven percent reduction in UK stocks held by BT's retirement fund. So from three quarters of a percent to a quarter of a percent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but, so, but yeah, you have to ask why they've done it, and um, I, 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 I will give you an example from 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 the Scottish Widows Master mm. Trust, which is that uh, we have actually been in our equity portfolio overweight UK equities, right, and it's created a drag on our performance and we're a competitive master trust people look at that kind of stuff so we have actually moved our uh, equity we're in the process of moving our uk equity exposure down it's it's poor performance there is there is a a, a very good rational reason for this and and the poor performance of the uk stock market is is not something recent if you go back over you know 15 20 years the relative returns on international equities uh, and uh, and UK equities has been such that we've all tended to be neutral, mm, yeah. at least neutral yeah. on UK equities, mm. and or overweighting uh, yeah. uh, to to other uh, other other markets. Mm, yeah. So it's a perfectly rational reason for doing it, exactly. and the trustees would not be doing their jobs effectively if they don't yeah. do it. Yeah. I find this argument that because we receive tax relief on pensions contributions, therefore we should be you know pro-British and wave the flag, and we should bung all of our money into. Um, in, into UK, which is very curious. It's, I mean, yeah. it's, it's bonkers, isn't it? It, it yeah. is completely bonkers. You know, I'm there with fiduciary responsibility to ensure the best possible outcome, i.e. Mm-hmm. the biggest mm-hmm. possible pension pot for my members. Mm. Yeah. And if I see an asset class, whether it's UK equities or anything else, that is underperforming, it's not delivering what I want, I'll sell it yeah. or yeah. reduce yeah. my yeah. holding yeah. in it. Yeah. Uh, we um, were overweight in UK equities in the people's pension. Um, and um, one of my last recommendations, which I'm not, I'm not sure I should look at the asset allocation, was to reduce the overweight. Because essentially, by being overweight, UK would be an underweight US. Mm. And that's the result. Yeah. And it wasn't a particularly pleasant result. No, um, exactly. And, and, and it was exactly the same with Scottish Widows. Yeah. And we did try to, I mean, you know, we tried to drag out an investment belief around UK mm. overweight. Yeah. But as the evidence just keeps on piling up, it's just really difficult to maintain. So. It is extremely difficult to, to, to make a case for UK equities. And I think the other thing you need to bear in mind, particularly with DC schemes, yeah. is that they hold most of their equities in indexed funds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so um, there is possibly an argument then for saying, well, if we, how do we hold our UK equities? Yeah. Should it actually be an index or should we actually be looking at a more active portfolio? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not to say that every single stock in the UK index is rubbish. Yeah, that yeah. is patently not the case. Yeah. But you need to have some active management to pick those ones out. Yeah. And so yeah. that's probably another reason. Uh, passive management possibly yeah. is, is another reason. You have to cut the whole lot. You can't just cut some. But just, but just on the fiduciary duty, because um, I think this is probably the, the next battleground for, let's say, the sustainability ESG yeah. space. Because there is a big fear that essentially schemes have done too little with the recognition that it's a material financial risk, essentially. Mm. Um, So there is this sort of other argument that the Australians, I think, have been quite good at, which is that the fiduciary duty isn't just sort of pounds and pence. It's also 
the society that you go and spend those pounds and pence in, whether that's a climate change argument saying it'd be quite hard to survive in the second half of this century if we don't do something about it, or a UK economy argument. I think you might be able to make those those sorts of arguments as well. Yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I don't understand. I know that there are people for, for calling for greater clarity around the fiduciary duty. Mm. I actually think the Law Commission did a pretty good job on it. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And, and I yeah. think financial materiality is, is perfectly understandable. Yeah. And uh, on, 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 on both um, the Cushion Master Trust and, and, and the Scottish Widows Master Trust, we have had no problem at all in doing good things in relation to ESG yeah. on the grounds of financial materiality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't quite understand why people think that there is a problem. I accept the regulators' um, you know, data-based uh, view that yeah. too few people, too few schemes are doing it uh, yeah. uh, properly on, or, or, or are only paying lip service to it. But that's just a better argument, a greater argument for consolidation. Uh, yes. you know, let's yeah, let, yeah, let's yeah. consolidate these schemes into in, 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 into the big master trust, for example, that, that do it properly. Yeah. yeah. The, the other thing as well is like, you know, you can invest in multiple ways in the UK. And it's not just about equities and, and listed markets, is it? No. You know, the whole productive finance agenda, you know, yeah. pension funds basically propping up the UK government in terms of bond purchases and stuff. Yeah. You know, so mm. it's just like, I, you know, I just, I, I just find it a few. Yeah. Well, when you get how, many, how, how, many, how many UK gilts does BT yeah. hold? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and shed loads. <laughs> shed loads. And they've done very well yes. out of it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah they, they, they're not being unpatriotic. No, they're exactly. saying, well, as you say, propping up the UK government. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I think these arguments are um, kind of populist sound bites. Mm. They completely ignore two important factors. One is the way in which actuarial valuations of DB schemes work. Mm. Yeah. Now we could all run out and beat up actuaries and say, "Oh, you're doing it wrong," or beat up former regulators, or beat up former regulator, you know, yeah. regulators, and say you're doing it all wrong. But the other side of the equation, of course, is that the international accounting standards yeah. do horrible things yeah, to right. your balance sheet yeah. as, yeah. A, as a sponsor yeah. if you don't hedge out these liabilities. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, you can't just beat up the actuaries. You've also got to beat up the, the people who control the international accounting standards. Yeah. So there are, there, there are regulatory drivers here at mm. force mm. which are making it very unattractive for mature DB schemes to hold many equities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, speaking of popularism, um, one of the things um, <laughs> I wanted to get your views on, Andrew, um, from your time at the regulator and stuff, was you know, there's, there's talk about the PPF now, yes. um, and being you know a scheme of last resort, and mm. you know, can the PPF do more to prop mm. up the UK economy? What's your views on that? Well, they've just reduced their equity holdings as well. Yeah, so they, they, this week they announced that they've reduced their equity holdings, and I assume that that's for similar reasons that 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 that, that BT have done it. So, um, I think that we. We need to be very careful about saying, um, let's rush in and consolidate the yeah. whole DB market into the PPF, because let's not forget, the members take a big haircut mm -hmm. on the way in, or quite a lot of them do, yeah. and the indexation of their benefits thereafter is far lower yes. than yeah. it would be if the um, schemes were left uh, individually. So I think if you're looking at consolidation, um, I think the PPF is, you know, that if everything, if all else fails, it goes to the PPF. Yeah. If you want consolidation of the DB market, then I think we have to have more encouragement for the super funds yeah. Yeah. and get more money into those because they can preserve. Or get some money into them. Or get, some, or get some money, get some money into them because they're all yeah. they're all struggling with that. Yeah. So I think that you know that's that's the consolidation vehicle that I would prefer for yeah. DB. Yeah. It is the Claras and the super yeah. funds. I think yeah. that's the right way to go. 
Um, and then you can ha at least have a chance of preserving the member benefits intact yeah. without yeah. having to cut them. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I suppose that um, if the PPR does turn into, a, sorry, PPR, um, the PPF no, turn into, um, <laughs> um, I conflated TPR and PPF, oh, no, that's right. what I was uh, doing there. Uh, uh, so, so I suppose that, you know, if, 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 if the PPF does become that, you know, default consolidator, mm. then the argument would have to be that, okay, you need to fully preserve benefits then. You're going to have mm. to fully preserve benefits, and I think you're also going to have to get rid of the haircut on the way yeah, in. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think you also need to think very, uh, you know, very differently probably about the terms upon which the um, sponsor actually sheds itself of its liabilities. Yes, yeah. Because at the moment, of course, you get taken to the cleaners. You know, it really is yeah. the last resort yeah. and the PPF yeah. grabs whatever it can okay, in terms yeah. of assets. Yeah. From, from, yeah. And so I think if you're going to kind of force employers or sponsors to shed themselves of their DB, it's, it's got to be a less painful process than it is yeah. at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so the, I mean, the buyout route, just coming back to the financing of the UK economy, of course, will dump a huge amount of government debt uh, and swap it into potentially UK credit, but potentially mm. not. Um, yeah. So, and it's penal in terms of price. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I think um, as we become potentially more parochial as a post-Brexit capitalist society and mm. require more inward investment from our institutions, dealing with buyout alone is going to be... Well, Quite a big issue. Uh, yeah, there's an, uh, there was an interesting article, I think it was last week, about the Bank of England warning insurance companies and in the buyout market about the risks they were taking with reinsuring part of the liabilities right. and, yeah. um, and the counterparty risk that yeah. that involves and how great that is. So the view that, oh, this is great, well, you know, as a trustee, I prefer the idea of it's going to be more expensive, but I'll go to yeah. buyout because I know I've actually secured the benefits and it's kind of guaranteed. Yeah. Well, Bank of England is now sort of saying, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> if you're just reinsuring half these liabilities, yeah, what yeah. is the counterparty risk? Yeah. Have you taken that into cons consideration? Yeah. Are you actually making this another systemic risk? Yes. Yeah. So, yes. Nico, what have you got for us? Um, so I've got some Aviva research, uh, which Pensions Aids have, have, have published an article on, um, which is really talking about how people are prepared for retirement or dot, or dot, dot, not. not. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, 19% of savers, I think these are younger savers, uh, feel completely or somewhat prepared, uh, which leaves 64% who do not know how much they need to save into a pension. Uh, no massive surprise there, I think. Um, and then uh, the majority of adults, so 72%, said they want unbiased advice, but just one in 10 uh, actually who retire go and take advice. Mm. So... The sort of call from Aviva to improve the support. I think there's a, a, a available to people retiring. Um, I think there's a few different voices in the industry kind of going along that same same trail. And yeah, I mean, DC is something that is built. Auto enrolment of DC is built on inertia. Well, we can't that, we throw this incredibly complex thing at people. Yeah. At the point that they've probably done no preparation for it at all. So well, we've got sort of a clash of um, two philosophies and two cultures mm. in a way. So, you know, auto-enrollment, default, workplace, paternalism, you know, um, yeah. all of that type of stuff. Let's call it the TPR stuff, yeah. yeah. Right. And then you've got the, okay, not quite throwing, um, you know, individuals to the wolves, yeah. yeah, but actually it's all on them, yeah, and when it comes yeah. to out retirement decisions and it's, you know, it's, it turns into a retail financial services product. How, how can we ever sort of combine yeah. the two, Andrew? Like, I, I think that I think that the answer to that is that the big DC schemes, including the Master Trust, need to do a better job around yeah, yeah. retirement. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's twofold. Um, first, first of all, we need to get far better support 
for yeah. members and decision making. Um, post uh, post uh, post post sort of liberation, post yeah, post freedom, post freedom and choice. You are faced with horrendous choices. You 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 are uh, being asked as an individual uh, to manage longevity and sequencing risk. Yeah, yeah. and. 99.9% of the population, except perhaps a few actuaries, well, actually don't understand what yeah. that means yeah. even. And so I think that the, the retirement path that we offer within DC schemes needs to help people yeah. manage that effectively. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that they also need a support mechanism around, and that basically means they need advice. Yeah. I think that you cannot give sufficient support to a member through education and guidance. They actually need advice. Mm. And I think that good master trusts, um, and, and we can talk about this more in the context of VFM perhaps, are probably going to provide some form of at least limited advice mm, yeah. um, to their members as they approach retirement and work through retirement. And I think the other thing that's really important here is that this is not a once and for all choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you may make a choice that you'll actually take some income through through flexi drawdown. You'll take everyone takes their cash mm. because it's tax that free. Why that makes sense. And then what do you do with the balance? Mm, um, mm-hmm. And I think that those who start to draw an income will probably do that through flexi drawdown. But there will become a point where they either want to increase or decrease the level of income, maybe because the state pension kicks in so yeah, they can yeah, reduce yeah. the income. And then when they get a little bit older, maybe they become unwell. You'd have to start thinking about things like you know, ill health annuities and what yeah, have you. Yeah, so yeah. It is not a, it's not a decision you make at the age of 65 or 66. It's, it's a series of decisions mm. that you will make from the moment you start to move from growth into income. Yeah, and it yeah. only ends either when you annuitize entirely or you die. Yeah, and yeah. so that, you, you, the two and three... Well, or you totally run out of money. <laughs> well, and ho- but, but we need to help members yeah, not yeah, yeah, to run yeah. out of money, which is why we have yeah. to help them with the sequencing and, and, and the longevity management of the sequencing yeah. and longevity yeah. risks. And I don't think that's just an investment solution. I, think, yeah, you know, no, you, no. You, I, I attend lots of conferences like yeah. you do, yeah. and you see lots of very reputable, very smart investment managers explaining how they think they can manage this within yeah. a fund, but it's not that simple. There's yeah. a lot more needed here around the support that members get in that to and through journey. Yeah. But how, can you ever, how can we ever deliver that for the mass market? You know, and, and, and this might be a VFM thing, or it might be a cost the, thing. I think the big, th- I think the big thing is, I think that I think that I think that the only way of doing that is, um, is through technology. Mm-hmm. So I think that some of the, the you know, the, the tech disruptors like yeah. Cushion, yeah. we we don't have a retirement proposition at the moment, but right. we're working on a retirement mm-hmm. proposition, and it will be tech led. Yeah. Right. And what you're really uh, aiming to do, I think, is to have something in the palm of your hand in the form of an app that will help you to manage this. And it will nudge you at the appropriate times about increasing, decreasing income. It might also keep you briefed on things like annuity rates are looking particularly attractive. Do you know that if you converted your pot into an annuity at this point, you would get X? And it will help people through that journey, but it will constantly nudge them. If you try to do that with real people, humans, interacting with them, then I think the cost will just be prohibitive. That said, I do think, as I said earlier, that all trustee boards should be thinking very seriously about having a panel of IFAs that they can refer members to, um, to help them with this initial decision making, and even just to explain what is going to be required in the to and through 
until they die. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't think most members understand that at all. No, they just yeah. don't know that they're going to need to make those decisions. I, yeah. guess, I guess the question for me is like whether there wouldn't be a set and forget approach. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. default. So a just default, like, I a little think, D default. Yeah. Just, just, so are the lawyers really going to tell all the trustees that, you know, so I need to nudge this person who doesn't really understand... Yes. who's got cognitive decline coming, yeah. who uh, every time I get a message, I'm now mm. in fear of my phone because it, I, I don't, never have enough money. Is there not a solution where the, essentially we go, look, here's some very sensible principles. Um, we'll yeah. try and give you a thousand. It might drop to, you know, 800 a month. It might go up, might go down. We'll try and tell you or, you know, give me a power of attorney and let me buy you an annuity at the age of 80. I think that, that, I, that that's the way that I would like to see it going. Yeah. I think that level of hand-holding, which is, which is kind of the sort of the DB way. Basically, DB managed all this stuff for yeah. you, yeah. and it's not managed for you now in DC. Some would argue that CDC yeah. is, is the way forward, yeah. and, and maybe it is. We haven't seen any CDC yet. Yeah. And we've certainly not seen any regulations for multi-employer yeah. CDC, so yeah. we can't we can't comment on that at the moment. Um, but potentially but, coming soon. But I, I, I think yeah. potentially well. potentially it's coming soon, and I think that we also need to think more, more seriously about as trustees about our responsibilities. Trustees tend to think, and we all we set everybody with you know a default retirement age of sixty five yeah. or sixty six or something, and we we manage them to that particular yeah. point, and yeah. we then wave goodbye. Yeah, and that's the old the old way. We yeah. now need to say, well, actually, we should be managing. The, uh, we should be supporting our members and helping them all the way through until the point yeah. that they annuitize or, or, yeah. or that they die. Technology, I think, is is, is the principal yeah. solution yeah. in this. It, it has be, to be. Um, and I'm expecting to see, you know, some exciting innovation in that fairly soon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think the other thing that, uh, and you mentioned about default, once you get to the end of the default and you start to draw an income, the regs say, well, that's self-select. Yes. And I think, to your point about can we not have a default, yeah, actually, DWP, I think we need to have some yeah. sensible defaults yeah. in there, or a default. And if you or, or are a safe harbour for you to set a default as trustee. Exactly. Right? And yeah. but if I, you know, logically, if my scheme default is targeting flexi drawdown, yeah. and a lot of pension schemes do have that as their default. Some yeah. target annuities still, some still target cash, but yeah. most I think probably target flexi drawdown, then you ought to just have a to and through default. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't do anything, member, and I keep nudging you and nudging yeah. you and what yeah. do you want yeah. to do, and they just say, actually just do it for me. Yeah. yeah. That's fine. Yeah. yeah, That's that's you then take them through into that into that default structure, and then I think we we we, we are into this um, business of trying to manage the money in a way, or manage the income, the cash flow in a yeah. way that they don't run out of money. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they never run. Their income might get very low, but yeah. they yeah. actually yeah. run out of money, and they're also getting support about saying, look, uh, you now now at the point where buying an annuity is right we may also need to involve other family members and say well look if there's mm-hmm. cognitive decline in there what do you mm-hmm. want to do mm-hmm. how do you want to manage that yeah. try to get people to anticipate where they put powers of attorney in and to whom they give those powers of attorney yeah yeah yeah, yeah. interesting lots lots to watch in, in future indeed but so, it, it needs change that, yeah, that, does, that yeah. that's yeah. legislative change yeah. because at the moment yeah. it, is, it is a default yeah. it's not a yeah. default in retirement yeah. and yeah. even if you have a pathway 
and you know if you even if you've got the the, the FCA pathways in place, those are self-select. Yeah, it's the member yeah. that makes the choice. Exactly, yeah. and yeah. they're blunt instruments. They are very yeah. blunt yeah, instruments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're stuck as well. So I mean, one of the behavioural yeah. finance lessons was essentially yeah. people who get very excited, and this is all pre-retirement, get excited in asset allocation. You know, they hear a story and they make a change, and then they lose money from that change, and then they lose interest. And they never then go, actually, I should be in the default where somebody has got mm. some sort of asset allocation process. Mm. They're just stuck in that excited moment mm. from five years ago, which is now a totally out of kilter portfolio that they're not monitoring. And I also, I've listened to lots of retirement calls uh, as a trustee. And, and you can tell from most of those calls that the thing that the member is really, really interested in is getting their hands on the tax-free yeah, cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're not really giving adequate thought and they're not really giving yeah they're not they're, they're not really making an informed decision mm. even if that residual mm. pot ends up in a pathway yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah. Um, we've covered a, lot, covered a lot of ground already um <laughs> rumor has it you you were a, a lawyer and you started off your career in a in the legal i started out training as a training a, as a, a lawyer tra- training as a lawyer um and didn't really get on with it very well. <laughs> and uh, I ended up working for a, a, a short period in the insurance industry, a very short period, I think about 18 months. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that really fascinated me when I was working in insurance was pensions. Right, right. And of course, most in, you know, insurance pensions are insurance policies. So I got into kind of contract, contract policies yeah, uh, yeah. and that. I, and I couldn't really understand why people would buy policies and not unbundle them. Right. And that then took me into uh, working with a firm of consulting actuaries called Duncan C. Fraser, um, who are now Mercer, right. <laughs> effectively. Okay. Well. That's a bit of Mercer. And uh, that was where I really kind of took off and saying, OK, this is this is how you operate this. I set up captive friendly societies for professional partnerships so that they could basically unbundle what in those days were called retirement annuity policies and yeah. run, run the money. So the, the captive friendly society issued you with a policy, but you had a segregated fund manager who was then appointed to run the money for you within the, within the captive friendly society and then messing around with small self-administered pension schemes and what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, Mercer was then acquired by Marsh Mack, um, and I thought, oh dear, insurance brokers, I don't really want to be going back there again. <laughs> and so I crossed London Wall and went to Bacon and Woodrow, right. but continued really in the same vein of, yeah. of, of, of messing around with pension schemes, reorganising, and barely became fascinated about how you made them more efficient. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's kind of what I've done and, and why, uh, when I was at um, the regulator, I became so enthusiastic about about master trusts, yes, which right. is co- yeah, you know yeah. collectivising mm. these things made a lot of sense. Yeah. And the logic then followed through into go to work with LGPS and say, yeah, well, mm-hmm. why would pension funds not pool their assets? Yeah. Yeah. This is a yeah. daft idea to run them yeah. on a segregated, on a yeah. separate basis. Because did so, you were you were sort of a founder member of LGPS Central? Was it were you sort of I there was, setting up? I yeah. was I was the first employee. Wow! <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. The, I I was the CEO of LGPS Central, and I was the only member of staff. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we had a we had a board. Joanne Seegers had been mm-hmm. appointed at, at yeah. just just before me as the chair. Uh, Joanne and I then had to build a board. Mm. Uh, and and I, I supported her in, in the appointment of uh, at the interview and, and, and appointment process yeah. of a board, um, and then we started to recruit an executive team which I built uh, up around uh, around me, and we were the people then who who were tasked in delivering uh, an asset a fully functioning asset pool 
uh, within seven months, wow. right. <laughs> <laughs> which was um, was nail biting stuff. It was yeah. very very exciting, very yeah. interesting, hugely intellectually stimulating. Mm. Um, you know, we were we, we used uh, initially the ACS as a, a, a as the basis for the for, yeah. for the pool. That was the pooling yeah. structure. Uh, we had to get custodians and depositories on board and in place for that, as well as for the, the various regulatory approvals, both as a, a, a as an asset manager and then for each of the products that we launched. Right. Yeah. And then we progressed uh, through into e-liquids and mm. set up a, a platform using a, a, a Scottish Limited Liability Partnership, yeah. which was our that was our e-liquids platform. And at that point, we we sort of established all of the. All of the infrastructure we we transitioned twenty billion yeah. across into the pool, uh, and at that point I thought this is really I want to spend more time at home, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was I was doing all of this sort of living in a hotel room in in in, in Wolverhampton, right, um, and traveling all over the the, the the Midlands, visiting the various partner funds. I thought yeah, no no no, yeah. I, this is not fair on the family. My wife was getting yeah quite unhappy yeah. about it all yeah um uh, and so i decided i needed to do something which would keep me at home more mm. fair <laughs> enough and and you, how, how long were you in the regulator for was it three or four years four and a half years four and a half, four and mm. a half years and, and what was the what's your fondest memory of tpr there are some fantastic people all regulators get serious stick yeah. mm. uh, and and, quite, and sometimes quite rightly so we don't we don't always get it right we're nearly always behind the curve um, you're nearly always reacting to something that's gone wrong in the market rather mm. than trying to yeah. anticipate what might go wrong and making sure it doesn't go wrong you're nearly always doing that as a regulator um, I think my fondest memory is just the people that I worked mm. with mm. I had an absolutely fantastic team um, I joined the regulator um, to set up the DC division. Yeah. yeah. In, in those days, the regulator was 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 organised in silos. Mm. So you had the AE bit, you had the DB bit, and you had then this new thing called the DC bit. Yeah. And we had to build the DC directorate, and then we were told that we had to deal with the public service pension schemes as well. So we were DC and public service pension <laughs> schemes. <laughs> and then uh, whilst, when Stephen Saper was the CEO, he said, well, there's all this governance and administration stuff, why don't you take that as well? So we became <laughs> DC, um, public service pension schemes and governance and administration. Right. And then somebody said, well, yeah, there's a lot of scams going on up there. We really need someone to lead. So we then took on scams right. as well. Um, and then when Leslie Techland became the CEO, she said it's an absolutely daft way to organise a regulator. Right. Yeah. You need to have it structured by themes and, yeah, and, yeah. and by function. Yeah. And so at that point, the old directorate I had became um, the, uh, the, 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 the directorate for, for regulatory policy, mm. and we led on policy. Mm. Yeah. Um, uh, but the, the, then Leslie said, well, what are you going to do with all these lawyers? Um, <laughs> so they said, well, the lawyers are better report to you as well. <laughs> and then they said, what are you going to do with all these actuaries? Well, the actuaries better report. Because you used to work with actuaries, didn't you? So you understand, you talk actuary. You, you better, know what a green pen is. You, you, better, you, better, you better manage it, manage the actuaries. And then suddenly, so that, that regulatory um, policy practice grew again in, mm. a, in a very a very similar way but we did lose scams mm, yeah. so scams were moved across into frontline regulation yeah. which is the people who carry the big sticks yeah, and, then, right. and, that, and that's that's where it needs to be yeah, I yeah. mean uh, we had big stick carriers within the old directorate <laughs> but it was much more sensible to merge it in with, mm, yeah. with, with the frontline yeah. regulation so I, I think that my fondest moment was just I loved the continual change I love mm. change I love managing yeah, change yeah, I yeah. love that whole kind of strategic thing 
that I had a fantastic team who I worked with, just some brilliant people who were very, very clever. Um, and I think we did some great things. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty proud of what we did on Master Trusts. Yeah. I think yeah. we got Master Trusts. I think we called that right. Yeah. Yeah. Even before I got there, we yeah. called that right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think building the framework around, you know, to get the legislation in place to give us those powers was, was really important. Mm. Um, so I think, I think that I, I look back with, with fondness, enjoying the people that mm. I worked with, but also thinking that I came away from there achieving something that I wanted to achieve which is to leave the state of pensions in a better mm. state than it, than yeah, it was, than, yeah. than it was you, when I joined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, should we come on to VFM? That's, um, uh, that's the theme of the podcast. Or okay. Someone might blame us. So, because um, I'm just interested, uh, so that obviously our normal question is, what does VFM mean to you? Yeah. Um, I'm interested to see how your time at the regulator did it sort of overlap with the VFM themes starting to come out? You, you, it did, a bit, yeah. and, it, and it grew very much out of the introduction of the charge cap. So, so yeah. Steve yeah. Webb was yeah. the minister when I first joined. Um, so Steve was very, very keen mm. um, following the OFT report that yeah. you're both old enough to remember that said <laughs> basically insurance industry, the, 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 you know, the industry, the pensions yeah. industry, insurers are ripping people off with these yeah. terrible charging structures. It's the weakest yeah. uh, competition <laughs> market that the OFT had ever reviewed. Exactly. So it, was, it, was, it was quite damning. It was it? pretty damning. Yeah, it was a very damning report. And, and I then sat on, I was then nominated by the regulator to sit on a, an industry body that was chaired by the ABI to actually do a deep dive in, uh, and an yep. analysis, uh, which then told the various institutions that we looked at how they should sort out and, and, and how they were going to compensate yep. people yep. and how yep. they needed to change their charging structures, which was quite interesting. But the focus then was all on charges. Yep. So, and that, yep. that led to the introduction of the charge cap. So mm -hmm. VFM originally, yep. although it was... Everybody said, look, it's more to it than costs and charges. The yeah. focus was just yeah. massively on, on yeah. costs and yeah. charges. And I think it's it, it's developing slowly away from that, but not fast enough. Yeah. And I think my concern, you know, sitting on the boards of two commercial master trusts, is that the focus in the market, the commercial focus, yeah. is still on price. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. You've heard me say at conferences several times, but I'll say it again. <laughs> you know, we see mandates going out for one or two basis points mm -hmm. difference. Yeah. And yeah. the fact that you've got an absolutely fantastic telephony service, a brilliant website, really good interactive stuff yeah. on your yeah. app, yeah. great communications, good investment proposition. Nah, yeah. it's down to one or two basis yeah. points. Yeah. So I think that there's a huge education needed mm. of buyers so yeah. employers who are looking for you know dc providers master trusts yeah. or gpps need to be educated that it's not just about price it's yeah. about the yeah. member experience and it's about whether the member experience is conducive to achieving the best possible outcomes that you can for the members and that's a whole range of things yep. around mm -hmm. the support mm -hmm. that they mm -hmm. get. Mm -hmm. Things that we've just been talking about, for example, on the to and through at yep. retirement. Yep. It's about um, the range of different support um, uh, tools that they can reach for during their membership of the scheme. And that's not just about 
apps. It's not just about websites. It's everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we know from the research uh, that we do at Scottish Widows, we test everything to death before it's actually ever released out into in, in, into the membership. We test absolutely everything to get member feedback about what they find useful and what they don't like. And yeah, so yeah. You know, if there's a new module in the app goes out, it's mm-hmm, tested mm-hmm, with yeah. members first. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel very strongly that as a trustee, I should be guided far more by what the members are telling me they want and how they want to interact with the scheme yeah. than by the checkbox exercise yes. run by the EBCs that say, do you have an app? Yeah. Tick. Yeah, do you yeah, have a yeah, website? Yeah, yeah. Tick. And I think they need also to get mm. smarter because the way that employers look at it is driven to a certain extent by the way that the EBCs. Mm. And Illiquids is, a, is an absolute classic of, yeah. of this, which is everybody who knows anything about investments knows that if you restrict yourself only to listed assets, you are basically taking a massive bet against the majority of the investable investable yeah. assets, yeah. which are private, privately yeah. held. They're, yeah. they're not listed assets. Yeah. So um, I think the onus actually, the, 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 the government is right, DWP is right, to put the onus on particularly DC trustees, to say, you need to explain why you're not investing. But they talk about illiquids. I prefer to say it's just private markets. A lot of them are illiquid, but it's private markets. How how do you justify taking this massive bet that listed securities are always going to outperform in the long run? Privately held assets. And if you put the question that way, you then sort of say, well, blah, 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 yeah. maybe I better have some illiquids in my portfolio. Yeah. So I think that there's, I think. But in a world yeah. where my portfolio maybe costs four basis points from an investment yeah. perspective, you know, isn't value for money the wrong stick? Isn't, you know, well, if, you if, know. I, if I treble that cost, am I on a spectrum of risk adjusted return per basis points? Am I going to be better value for money? And this is, and this is the question. And, yeah. and, and, and you can only judge that with retrospect on yeah. the yeah. basis of outcomes. Yeah. But I think that, you know, logic dictates that um, we know that there is something because it's been proved over and over again. There is something called diversification premium. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> so, well, and listed markets are getting more and more concentrated. And right? Listed yeah. markets are becoming more and more concentrated because yeah. so many companies are being taken private. Yeah. 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 You know, they, they kind of come in as private equity, they list on AIM, they go into the grown-up yeah. stock market, and yeah. then someone comes along and says, we're going to take them private again. Yeah. 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 And that's a trend around the world. There yeah. are now fewer listed securities than there were when... You know, yeah. we started talking yeah. about this but, but 10, also 20 stock markets. Ago. So if you buy uh, you know, S and P five hundred, you're buying like six companies. Yes, um, and we know their names. So you're not, yeah. you know, your event risk on Mark Zuckerberg standing in Congress or whatever yeah. they do yeah. Uh, yeah. is huge. Unless you start, unless you tilt them, unless yeah. you, unless yeah. you tilt yeah. your index. And I think that I think we've we've got some quite sophisticated tilts now in passive funds that try yeah. to eradicate that concentration mm-hmm. risk, which is helpful. Yeah. But it doesn't get away from the fact that you are investing in a tiny fraction of the investable opportunities if you don't consider uh, unlisted securities. Um, Now, I think that there there are massive practical issues in that. Um, Some of them, I think, are overstated. Mm -hmm. I don't think it matters in a DC default that you have a chunk of illiquidity. Mm. Cushion, we've gone for 15% of our default. In illiquid assets, because we believe that that will get a better return for our members. Yep. 
and I would expect that um, percentage to increase. Yeah. If more than 50% of the investable assets in the world are unlisted, mm. why would I not have 50% of my yeah. portfolio in, un, in unlisted assets? Yeah. Now, cost then does become an issue. Yeah. 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 So I won't tell you what the cushion illiquid sleeve costs, but I will tell you that it's more than 75 basis points. Yeah, 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 yeah. But because we only hold 15% of the portfolio in it, the total cost of our default strategy is way under yep. right. um, 75 basis points and is still very competitive. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think the government made a massive mistake and, and didn't help this argument about, is it just about costs or is it about other stuff? Yeah. When they then said to the investment industry, having been lobbied heavily, heavily by them, okay, well, we'll allow performance fees yeah. Yeah. and they're yeah. outside of the charge cap. Yeah. Yeah. The charge cap actually provided a discipline within which trustees mm. could operate yeah. and it actually gave us great negotiating power. Yeah. You've actually allowed the people we were negotiating with yeah. to now say, oh, but the government allows you to do it. Yeah. My argument to that is, yeah, but my members are still paying it. And I don't believe that I'm necessarily going to get value for money. Yeah. I think there's intergenerational issues with, with performance fees, which you have to take into account in DC. You don't yeah. have to take them into account in DB. No. Yeah. So the fact that this is okay in DB does not mean that it's okay in DC. Yeah. And I don't really know what they mean by well-designed yes. uh, <laughs> performance fee structures. Yeah, I, I heard I've, this I've, the other day. I've, I've yet to see one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I, I, I've got a regulatory question for you then. So when I, I, I saw the well-designed words in front of the words performance fee the other day, and I thought that's news to me. So it's not defined what well-defined is. No, ah, right. it is not defined. Okay. It's up to the market to define. Yeah, uh -huh. and, and, you so know, they're I, all well-defined, basically, I'm, because there's a, there's a contract. I somewhere. have to say, in the interests of balance, there are plenty of people in the industry who disagree with me on this. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I think that there are, there are some very big um, employer-sponsored DC schemes that do have illiquids in them and have had illiquids in them for a long time, and they have performance fees mm -hmm. linked yeah. to them. And the trustees of those schemes have satisfied themselves and got comfortable with the fact that yeah. actually this is this is actually an, it, this isn't the the excess return they're going to generate from this justifies those those higher charges yeah. coming through to the members i'm not there yet yeah. uh, yeah. i i'm i'm yet to be convinced by that i would far rather do as we did with cushion with our manager who is um uh, schroeder's to say actually we just want a fee we want yeah, an amc yeah, yeah, yeah. please yeah. you can charge us more than you would do for passive because hey you're going to do a lot more work yeah. than passive yeah uh, but we want the certainty around that yeah. we, don't, we uh -huh. do not want any um any any and we don't want any performance fees included in mm. the charging structure yeah now i don't know how the market is going to evolve mm. The practical issues around illiquids, which is how we got into this conversation, are how do you manage the liquidity? Yeah. yeah. And I think that uh, I think that the, the problem is overstated. It is my very firm belief, having been through this in a lot of detail with Cushion, is that the cash flows are simply so strong. Yeah. yeah. You do not have to worry about switchings, transfers, um, and what have you, because you manage those at cash flow. So you need your manager, so you need your administrator to look at what's coming in, yeah. what's going out, and what's being switched, yeah. and only transferring across to the platform mm. the net yeah. amount yeah. that's yeah. going yeah. into yeah. a liquids. Yeah. 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 
You can have a second layer of liquidity management in the, cushion, the case of cushion. There are other ways of doing it. We've yeah. decided to do it on platform as well. In that the illiquid sleeve also has a chunk of global equity in it. Yeah, it's yeah. taken from our global equity portfolio, which mm. is run for us by Macquarie, and. We know that Schroders is only going to want to draw capital into the liquids once a quarter, yeah. so all contributions coming in go into the global um, into in, into the global equity fund, and then at the point that Schroders make the call, we tip the bucket yep. into into yeah. the liquids portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. So we manage the liquidity within the scheme, at the administration level and on the platform level, and then the regulator also insists in an LTAF structure, which is what traders are using, yeah. that there is a level of liquidity mm. within the within the portfolio. I have to say I disagree with that. Yeah. I yeah. think it's unnecessary. And I think there's a considerable risk, one which trustees who use LTAF structures are going to have to keep an eye on, uh, is that you will actually get a drag on performance mm. for cash that's just sitting around. Yeah. yeah. And incidentally, when we talk about politicians getting very excited about chucking huge amounts of money into UK liquids, that's a problem that they need to think about. Mm, yeah. Let's say that we say we go down the Rachel Reeves route and we have 50 billion sitting in this, you know, I don't know what they call it, sovereign wealth fund or something. This is going to fund high the growth, future, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the great <laughs> British company yeah, future fund yeah, yeah. or something. Yeah. Do you think they'll invest in my company? Uh, <laughs> I don't know, mate. Are you investable? <laughs> you you, you, so you say you have to put this money in. Well, there's a timing issue there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do I get, you know, are there really 50 billion quids worth folk out there with brilliant startups who yeah. are ready to receive that money or is the money just going to be sitting in cash for years well or given to their mates right i mean so ultimately yeah. the, <laughs> but the governance of giving money in venture capital is very very difficult right? mm. given any private market mm. it takes time for your ecosystem of skills yeah. and governance and oversight and beliefs yeah. to build up and if you just click your fingers you can spend 50 billion mm. very easily yeah. but will you spend it well Exactly. Um, and that is ultimately, you know, it is very tempting. To, there's no bad ideas in private markets, right? Yeah. Um, no, um, they're all great, whizzy, exciting things <laughs> with these fantastic entrepreneurs who are going to do great things like Thanos and, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and a few others that we could mention. So I think that there's a, that, 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 yeah, there, that, there are risks around governance. I am concerned about the cash flow management with it or the cash management within the fund. I think that will add, add as, a, as, a, as a drag. Yeah. I would prefer it if um, we could persuade managers, and if I do this again, I'll try again, it, it, to say, look, I'm only going to tip the money out of my global equity fund or whatever yeah. my, liquid, my liquidity pool is. I'm only going to tip the money out of my global equities into the liquid sleeve when you've actually got investments lined yes. up to yeah, make. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, not just yeah. going to give you the money and leave you to hold it in cash yeah. for yeah. six months. And how many times have we read in the last few years about private managers who've had huge fundraisers yeah. and 18 months later they're still sitting on yeah. half the yeah. cash. Yeah. Well, What's the point? why am I paying 20 for that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But isn't, uh, isn't the open-ended fund root one of the problems here yeah um so if i could just invest in each of those vintages okay yeah it may be that i make a 200 million quid commitment and there's yeah. some dodginess about how they call it down and uh, you know what they charge but ultimately when they say within the next 30 days you need to supply the first 50 million i've got the liquidity in my portfolio right i've got yeah. equities i can sell i've got cash coming in exactly and i assume you know and again coming back to bt who were in mm -hmm. the news a few months ago for a different reason yep which is that they've now set up a Scottish Limited Liability um, right. uh, uh, partnership 
to manage their co-investments. Right. So they've done exactly yeah. that. Yeah. They're yeah. saying, well, Solve this for a game of soldiers. Yeah, we're not actually yeah, going yeah, to. Yeah. We're not going to invest in funds and leave the managers holding the money forever. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. We'll hold the money, yeah. and then when we actually have a co-investment lined up, we'll tip the money through the yeah. Scottish Limited Liability Partnership, and we'll hold it direct. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the route that big schemes should be going. Mm. I'm mm. sure. I don't. I don't know what Mark Fawcett is doing in this space with Nest, but he's big enough. He's got enough assets to go exactly the same route. And the cash flows are immense. And the cash flows are absolutely massive and master trusts as they get bigger and consolidate should be doing the same things we shouldn't be thinking in terms of funds we should be thinking in terms of segregated mandates and we should be thinking in terms of co-investment when we when we talk about investments in private equity yeah yeah one of the the, couple of things one is that how do we get the consultants to focus away from price yeah, um, because you know that seems to be quite a key barrier in some of this stuff. And you know, I, like you, I'm, I'm a bit of a serial conference goer. Um, <laughs> you know, speaking on platforms and just enjoy being part of the audience. Um, but you know, every consultant will say, like, it's not about price. It, we, we, you know, we look yeah. at all these different things and stuff. Um, but then, you know, everyone in the market that you talk to says, oh, yeah, we probably lost it on the basis of a, a basis point or One, something two, like yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, you know, how, do, how do we shift that? Every, every, time we, every time we have the marketing team in, you know, at, at Scottish Widows, but, you know, the Scottish Widows Master Trust, the board, standing agenda item on our quarterly meetings is, is what's the new business flow? Mm, yeah. And time and time again, we look at, the, you know, prospect this, prospect that, and you say, okay, so what happened to those? Tell us yeah. about the journey through. Yeah. And yeah, we got down to the shortlist, we were down to two or three or what have you, and we lost it on price. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing over and over again. Every day, yeah. So I think I think this is this is a real problem and I think that I'm I'm hopeful. I hope that what will come out of the VFM consultation is that the DWP will manage to come up with a much broader basis for making decisions. Yeah. My view is that it should be features based. So you can't be an AE scheme, you can't be a qualifying scheme unless you have certain yep. features. Yep. Right. And I think we should be looking at features yeah. of schemes. Yeah. Yeah. Does it have a retirement pathway? Yeah. Does it have yeah. support for members at retirement? Yeah. Does it have illiquids in it? Yeah. And then the hygiene factor at the end is, well, what's the investment performance like? Yeah. Is that yeah. good yeah. or bad? Is that within a reasonable degree of tolerance? And again, you shouldn't be looking for best because you'll never get best. Yeah. It's a yeah. movable fees yeah. Yeah. and price is the same. Mm. You know, price, again, it's a hygiene factor, yeah. but it should not be, it should be like, 10% of the decision-making. Yeah, the member experience... 99% of the decision-making. At the moment, it's 99%. Yeah. So I'm hopeful, I'm hoping that what the DWP com- comes up with then forms the template for the EBCs to yeah. say, OK, yeah. well, these are the things now that we need to look at. Yeah. And I think you do you do need to, to, to remember that master trusts are a commercial market. It's yes. fiercely competitive. It is yeah. very competitive. Yeah. Yeah. It's fiercely competitive, but at the moment it's only fiercely competitive about price. Yeah. Yeah. And it needs to be fiercely competitive about member experience, member support, yeah. Yeah. the investment strategy that's being followed. Mm-hmm. And if all of that costs a few basis points more, you should be able to conclude that's VFM. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that amazes me is is how little the performance history seems to be in the calculation as well. Because, yeah. you know, these uh, there are track records now. Um, and you would have thought that would be the second thing that the market would 
add to the list yeah. on the basis of, well, you know, how did you do, right? How, how was last year? How was the, the, the COVID crisis? I think, I think um, the market's probably too new. And because you've had so much consolidation, it, it's difficult. So, for example, I take Cushion. Mm. Cushion is actually an amalgam of different master yeah. trusts mm. that have been acquired over a period of time. Yeah. It's only within the last, you know, um, few months that we finally got the last piece of the jigsaw, which was the, 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 the Schroeder's Illiquids Fund, right. into yeah. the growth yeah. strategy yeah. at all, because mm. it took so long to deliver it. So we've moved from a situation where we had this kind of ragtag of different funds and strategies. Yep. We then consolidated those down into you know Cushion 2.0, which yeah, is which yeah. is the go forward strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's got very little track record. I mean, yeah, we, we yeah. finally got the money you know in into in, into shows only a couple of months ago. Yeah, you know, it took, yeah, it took yeah. us that long to do it. So I think it's going to take a while. Isio, um, amongst others, but Isio, I, 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 I've seen present, and I think it's a very good report. Yeah. does do quite a lot of detailed analysis about what's in right. um, the defaults in various master trusts, how they've performed in different market conditions. Yeah. They've done some modelling around that, um, and they also give the lie, I think, to the to, to the assumption that there's not, there's too little invested in equities because right. everything's yeah, yeah, in yeah, equities. Right. Mm-hmm. It yeah. just may not be very he- heavily into UK yeah. equities. Yeah. But it also shows that very few have anything in illiquids, which, yeah. are the, which is the area where I think yeah. we want. Particularly if you have passive funds, and most of us yeah. do. Yeah. Where's the alpha coming from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where's yeah. the alpha? You have to have alternative assets, I think, mm-hmm. in order to generate that. But so the beta, beta has been fine, right? So that's the, that's the issue. Beta's so been fine. Beta up until fine. 18 months ago. Right? Up until 18 months ago, beta's been fine, although... Some some markets still have a rocky road. Si- si- yeah. Some markets have been finer than others. Yes, and, and your timing <laughs> may well make uh, it exactly. brilliant or terrible. But I think that I think what we're seeing at the moment, it, it, a we've seen far greater uh, volatility, and so yeah. there are opportunities yeah. for arbitrage as a result yeah. of that. Yeah. I think we're also starting to see the fact that the global economy doesn't all move in the same direction at the yeah. same time. Yeah. Yeah. Asia. The southern, the southern, the, the southern hemisphere, yeah. America, Europe, all are moving in slightly different yeah. directions, yeah. and so I think there's greater opportunities, probably for more active overlay in yeah. the way in which you allocate between markets and you allocate between assets. Yeah. So yeah. I think, um, although I. I've always been traditionally very cynical about active management. I think we may now be coming out of yeah. a period where just being passive was a free ride. Yeah. 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 And you're going yeah. to say, actually, I need yeah. more active yeah. to make yeah. this work effectively. But I, I think it's worth talking about levels. So um, at the top level, asset allocation, there is no passive strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the, the schemes were set up as if there was. Well, um, yeah. Passive strategies as 100% global developed equities. Mm. Yeah. And then I let the market tell me what... I'm going to call passive, but what I've already done is lobotomized my universe by not having any fixed income, yeah. lobotomized it by not having any uh, private markets. So um, now that that hasn't necessarily won, mm. um, inflation's high, uh, particularly if you're invested in sort of passive bonds, very, very difficult. Mm. So I think that kind of more active asset allocation, giving yourself enough levers yeah. in your individual uh, sleeves, and then having a passive versus active choice market by market. Mm. I think um, that, I think that's the way to go. And I, and I think it's, when I talk about active, I'm talking more about the tactical asset allocation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that should be more active than it has been um, when you get into, I'm very happy to hold buckets mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. in passive, but I think I, when I come into it, illiquids, it, it has to be active. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There is no, there is but no. This is index. one of the issues: is that we conflate active versus passive to mean listed markets. 
Yeah. Uh, whereas there's no passive in unlisted markets, right? Yeah. So uh, we're very difficult. It's very, uh, I think the narratives around high cost for active and stock yeah. picking and superstar managers mm. gets conflated with running a building with 200 homes yeah. in yeah. and having to go and collect the rent yeah. and deal with voids and clean up and all of that kind of stuff. Or, it, main, just, or maintain a, a wind farm. Yeah, know? they are more expensive <laughs> yeah. assets. Exactly. Um, and it is the business which is more expensive. It's not the payroll, essentially. Yeah, I mean, I th you know, and I think that this gets conflated sometimes with the uh, the carry rules. Yes. Uh, and, and I think... You know, well, and inversely, the, yeah. uh, if I hold a listed equity, all of those costs are in there, but I don't recognise them as management fees yeah. for yeah. various... Uh, or if I hold reasons. an investment company. It's like the same thing. <laughs> so so, um, so, so we, are, we are up against time. flown by. It's a great element. There's a couple of things that we did want to cover. Right. And you mentioned the word consolidation. Yeah. Um, so, you know, where do you think consolidation will end? Yeah, within the... You know, in the mass market sector, and what do you think some of the wider implications of that might be? Okay, so I, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you my view, and, and 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 I'm sure there are any number of people out there in the market who'll give me a fight about this. But my <laughs> view is that we're currently at around about mid 30s in the mm -hmm. number of master trusts, down from plus 100 yeah. um, a few years ago. I think within a very short period of time, we'll be in mid 20s. Yeah. Um, and so I think that the, the consolidation will happen yeah. quite rapidly. Yeah. I would be surprised if in five years' time, in the medium term, there were more than 12, okay. 15 really? master trusts. Yeah. I, yeah. Think, I think that's where the market should be yeah. because that's the only way that you're going to get the real scale. Yeah. And if you think about the argument at the moment about the LGPS pools, there are nine of those, right. and people are saying there are too many. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. So and they're massive. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah. I think the same argument ought to be, you know, you've got Nest that's out there on its own. Mm. Yeah. But when you look at the commercial master trust, the other master trusts that are out there, you know, there really shouldn't be more than more than twelve. Yeah. In fact, I think you could argue yeah. for even less yeah. than right. that. Okay. Um, I think that's going to have some interesting imp uh, implications for the rest of the market. One of those is how many asset managers do you need? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so at the moment you've got, you know, hundreds or even thousands of DC schemes. They all yeah. get consolidated down to let's say twelve. They have ten mandates in them. Mm. You know, hundred and twenty yeah. mandates. Yeah. Uh, they'll probably go to half a dozen of the usual suspects, yeah. maybe yeah. with a few boutiques, you know, around the side. Yeah. yeah. How many asset managers have we yeah. got at the yeah. moment yeah. running yeah. pension funds? Mm -hmm. And I think the other characteristic, which we touched on before, is that people won't invest in funds. These yeah. big master trusts will have yeah. segregated mandates. Yeah. Yeah. And so they will be seg mandates run to their own yeah. criteria rather yeah. than products developed as funds. Um, and that's why I think LTAF is a short-term phenomenon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think, yeah. I think yeah. LTAF will serve its purpose to help us to encourage more assets into illiquids, yeah. but thereafter we'll all go the BT route and say, yeah. well, yeah. if I want private equity, I'll go through a Scottish Limited Liability Partnership, yeah. please. Yeah. 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 So I think there'll be consolidation in, the, in that market, there'll be consolidation in the uh, asset management market as a result. What for, I for pensions. For pensions, yeah. yes. Because, I mean, of course, a lot of these managers would be, you know, one of their segments would be pensions. And one of the dangers then is that you have the kind of... Um, Runny, Brie, Gorgonzola. And you, right. you, you squeeze one side and out of the other side. And they then say, well, we'll go retail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of my big fears... But I mean, the they're market, doing that today, right? Exactly. So, so they're today faced yeah. with the challenge between 
spending, uh, you know, earning five basis points from a product that they can sell at 75 yeah. basis points on a, on a retail platform or to the Japanese or to the... Right? Exactly. And I think that, that, that there's a big danger here uh, and the government needs to be aware of this, which is we bear down on the DC mm -hmm. trust market yeah. and we squeeze it for value for money mm -hmm. yeah. and we get really good value for money. Uh, but at the same time, you have the retail market tooling up to attack yeah. the members yeah. of those schemes yeah. and yeah. say, come along, come along. And I see all the time transfer requests yeah. coming through and I'm looking at you know, the 10, 12 basis points that we're charging yeah. on, the port, on the pot the member has and the, and the member is trying to transfer into a pot which is 100, 200, 250 basis yeah, points. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, th you, you, I think the government has got to say, look, what is the purpose of consolidation? Mm, yeah. If it is simply that, at the point that the member retires, they transfer back into the retail market. That has all of the same problems that the yeah, OFT yeah, identified yeah. 20 they years ago. They haven't, they haven't <laughs> gone away, those problems. Those problems no. have not gone away. So you're, you're, the squishy bit of your gorgonzola yeah, yeah, needs, yeah, to, yeah. needs to be pushed back within mm. the envelope and mm. say, actually, you know, if you're doing a drawdown product in a retail product, it has to be within the 75 basis points. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We need to have that um, charge control and governance extended into the retail market, in my view. Uh, yeah. Isn't it interesting? Um, we are pretty much out of time. Yeah. But I know um, you, you wanted to talk a bit about um, sort of disadvantaged groups or excluded groups within pensions and the pension sector. Yeah, um, and and the importance of um, you know the industry thinking about how best it can support those groups. Okay, I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples of what we're doing at Scottish Widows, okay. mm -hmm. um, because I think that that, that is a good a, 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 a good place. We're doing some good stuff. Um, I think if you're going to do EDI mm -hmm. uh, and, and the regulator has pushed out some guidance on yep. this, you can do it as a checkbox exercise, mm -hmm. or you can do it with intent. Yep. We're doing it with intent, and I'll give you a couple of examples of what we're doing. Um, Quite a lot of the people who phone our call center do not have English as a first language. Mm, yeah. If you don't understand what people are telling you or explaining to you, yeah. you're excluded from the pension scheme effectively. Yeah. You're mm. not going to make the right decisions. So we are trialing now simultaneous translation okay. in multiple right. languages to make sure that people who do not have English as their first language mm. can actually call, call the call yeah. center wow. and get help. That will eventually be extended into chat because right. we have big chat functions as well. So we're piloting that, thinking about it, but we are convinced that we need to do that yeah. because we do have a lot of people in the scheme who do not have English as a first language. Yeah. Secondly, loads and loads and loads of stuff about the pensions gender gap. Yeah. Yeah. Loads yeah. of data out there. What's anybody doing about it? Not a lot. Yeah. It's basically a marketing exercise. Yeah. It's a bit of a flag waving. Um, what we're doing is saying, well, how do we address that? How do we support people who are going away on paternity leave, or maternity leave, particularly, particularly women? How do we support them? So, for example, do women know that when they're on maternity leave, although they're not getting any AE contributions, they can still make contributions themselves if they right. want to do yeah. so? Yeah. Yeah. Has anybody told them that? Mm, Have yeah. we told them that? Do yeah. we communicate that to them? Uh, when they come back into the workforce, do we provide them with support to say, look, unfortunately, you have missed some contributions mm. during the time that you were away with childcare, but you can actually now catch up. Mm, if yeah. you increased your contribution by £10, £20, £100, whatever it is, yeah. you would catch up within X years. You yeah. would preserve yeah. your pot. 
How could we support women back into the workplace faster? One of the biggest obstacles is affordable childcare. Yeah. Could yeah. we, as the Lloyd Bank, Lloyd's Banking Group, do a deal yeah. with one of the big um, childcare providers mm -hmm. and say, we want you to give heavily discounted rates mm. uh, yeah. of childcare for our members, which we will subsidise in some way. Yeah. So these are the, some of the ideas yeah. that we're thinking about and saying, how do we do this? How do we do ED&I with intent? Yeah. And yeah. then we move into... Um, minorities, mm. yeah. different people with different ethnicities. The language barrier is one. Cultural barriers are another. Yeah. Why do a lot of Indian people have smaller pension pots? It's because they actually invest in property. So right. if you actually look at their overall right. wealth, they yeah. have yeah. property pots. Do yeah. we worry about that so much? Maybe not. They're still yeah. saving. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Do we worry about Afro-Caribbeans? who have very small pension pots, yeah. and if they're women, they have even smaller pension pots. Yeah. So a double whammy for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. And they also have very little in other savings. Mm, so yeah. that's an area that we actually need to target. How do we connect with them and make yeah. them feel that they can trust their money with us mm, and encourage yeah. them to invest mm. with us? So that's a work in progress. Okay. But my point is, EDI is really important. Yeah. 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 Historically disadvantaged groups will remain disadvantaged unless we do, do something, something about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Lloyd's Banking Group and, and the Scottish Warriors Master Trust is committed to doing that and we're taking active steps now. Sounds yeah. good. Great. Sounds good. It'll be really interesting to, to sort of look back on this in a year's time after the mm. pilots yeah. have been done and you know, seeing what you've achieved in that. At the moment we're collecting huge amounts of data yeah. and we're talking to people and saying, what do we want? How can we help you better? Yeah. But I think that's that's part of the VFM. You yeah. know, we have changed our strategic objective, mm. yeah. um, which was around members, and we've said now all members. Mm. Yeah. I'm yeah. also interested in people in uh, in employment who perhaps fall below the AE threshold. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. how yeah. can we get the employers to communicate that actually yeah. there's this thing called the Scottish Widows Master Trust. We're not going to pay any contributions to that because you'll be lay the threshold, mm. but you could still pay some yeah, money into yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So there, there, there are groups that are excluded at the mm. moment, and there are, I think, relatively simple steps that we can take to include them. Yeah. Interesting. I think that's a, a great point on which to yeah. end this podcast. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, not at all. Um, pleasure. Um, yeah. What have we got coming up? So uh, in terms of events, I'm doing the webinar. So this after <laughs> you will hear this after I've done the webinar but I believe for the for the DCIF uh, we'll have it on their website uh, and the re report uh, which is based on so the TCFD research I've been doing uh, will be available soon so yeah watch out for that tomorrow when you hear this um, but it, it should be made available relatively soon very good very good um, so I think um, that brings today's fun to the close doesn't it, um, it we, does. we need to thank DG Publishing uh, for, as ever as thank ever, you for, for, for providing the pod uh, it's quite um, warm today we, I don't know if it was the right is. decision to turn off the fan but, no, no, uh, but we stuck know, with it we don't, we, we don't necessarily want that, that background humming noise yeah. um, and um, just just quickly yeah. you know, your IO, IFOA stuff yes. you know, how are you how are you progressing with that you, well we're still waiting for the election to be announced so um, uh, yeah not at all not at all so I, I, I posted on LinkedIn again. Um, still waiting for any of the council members okay. to, to comment publicly. So um, they've got, uh, I think, the ostrich PR strategy, right. which I guess in some cases Can work. is a success, um, and in many others it's it's less successful. So I think they're uh, 
It'd be nice if they could say something publicly yeah. for why they've suspended the constitution. Know, but, but you know, I'll leave that up to them. <laughs> and um, no doubt we'll keep coming back. And, uh, well, uh, it would be great do. if we could actually talk about why I think I should be a member of council. Okay, instead we of can do that. Why do that. Uh, the constitution is suspended? So, um, who have we got coming up, Nico? We got Bruce Altman. Yeah, um, we got uh, Tan Sui Che, who's uh, one of the ex-presidents of the IFA. Cool. Uh, we've got Adrian Balding, who uh, we've got a, a, a CDC slot. I think we're going to cross codes, aren't we? We are, yeah. <laughs> Or are we? Because maybe CDC is basically just DC. Who knows? Uh, who knows? Um, who knows? So, but Adrian's going to explain it all to us. So, yeah, looking forward to all of that. So, until next time, bye from me. <laughs> goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you.